If you're married, where did you meet your husband or wife? An online dating service? At church? Country hotspot? Business party? Summer camp? Playing softball? So what happens if we go back to a simple time, back to about 2000 BC, when Isaac was 40 and single, and all the girls around him were pagan Canaanites? Let's join Dave Wurtzen as we look at Genesis chapter 24 and the Bachelorette Patriarch style. The Bachelorette was a spin-off of The Bachelor. And the basic premise of it, for the last nine years, they take a beautiful young woman and they put her in the midst of a whole group of available, good-looking, successful young men. And the idea is that she dates her way through this harem in order to come to the climactic moment where she decides who her life partner is going to be. How many of you think that's a really great way to find a husband? It shows you where our culture is. I think all of you would agree this morning that that's probably a little bit voyeuristic and not the wisest way to find a mate. But I want to ask you, where did you find your, those of you that are married, where did you find your partner? Just call out some of the plates. Ken? The roller rig. Okay, the roller rig. How many of you found each other in a roller rig? Somebody else. Darlene, what? At school. Good, school. That's a good one. Somebody else. Yes. The grocery store, the A&P, that's a great place. Good. Did anybody find your life partner in church? That's interesting, okay? Somebody just told me they found their life partner playing mixed softball. How many of you found each other online? Okay, good. There we go. I figure we get some hits with that one. Good. And in our culture, what I want you to know that this is very individualistic. As Americans, the major idea is that we're responsible. If you're a young man, if you're a young woman, it's all on your shoulders. For example, when I have like a man from the Middle East, I have a friend that comes and shares with the students about the Islamic faith. And he'll share with me, he actually went back to his home in the Middle East. He told his uncle, I'm here for a month, and your job is to find me a wife. And a month later, he had a wife, okay? When I have friends from India shared, their families are all interacting. Now, it's changing as India becomes more prosperous and more like the West. But one thing I want you to open your heart to is we want to go back in time to a more simple time when they rode camels instead of Toyotas. We want to go back to 2000 B.C. We've got the patriarch Abraham, and he has just lost his precious wife, Sarah. So he's in a mourning time. He's in transition. He just lost his precious wife. He has a 40-year-old son that's still living at home with him in his tent. That might sound familiar. And he really needs, he really needs a wife, okay? So what do you do when you need to find a wife? And this is the promised son. And deeper, what I want you to think about is, is the Lord God of heaven, the great I am that created heaven and earth, Is the Lord God of heaven really involved in our lives? Well, we're going to go back into a story where he very much was involved in this story. We're going to learn about our responsibility in carrying out God's sovereign plan. That's an interesting interaction. What about our responsibility in finding out God's sovereign plan and carrying it out? Second of all... If you're a young woman, as we talk about the influence of a godly woman, if you're a young woman, what are the kind of character traits 
that were true 2,000 years before Christ, and they're still true today, that are really important for you to be developing. If you're a father and you're training your daughter, what are some of the qualities that you want to develop in your young daughters as they grow and as they mature, okay? And finally, is God going to carry out his promise through us? In other words, why is it so important for us to really listen to the heartbeat of what was happening as two old men? We've got Abraham that just lost his wife, and we have his trusted servant. doesn't even mention his name, which shows you how humble he is. It very possibly could be Eliezer, Eliezer, the Lord is my helper. He's the one that helped Abraham earlier, and he's Abraham's trusted servant. The text today, you turn to Genesis chapter 24, so turn there. In Genesis chapter 24, it never mentions who this old servant is because he's such a humble man that in the story, he doesn't put himself front and center. The very first thing we're going to look at is we're going to have two old men that are matchmakers. Now, how many of you men have ever been involved in matchmaking? Some of you. All right. How many of you ladies have been involved in matchmaking? A few more, okay? How many of you just are too chicken to admit that you do that, all right? It's okay? But usually when we think of matchmaking in a culture, we think in terms of women who do it. So one of the interesting things, if we look at Genesis chapter 24, we have two old men, and they're going to matchmake. Look at chapter 24 of Genesis. Abraham was now old. He's an old man, and he's well advanced in years. They want you to make sure you realize. And by the way, that's not a bad thing in the Old Testament. That means that you've experienced the Lord's blessing. So unlike our culture, in the Old Testament culture, if you're old and well advanced in years, it means that the great I am has blessed you. So those of you that can say that, you need to keep hanging in there. We want to be multi-generational. Don't get discouraged. Keep on coming. Abraham's going to do some of his most important work in this chapter for the glory of the Lord, the way he sets up a bride for his son. The Lord had blessed him in every way, and he said to the chief, to his chief servant in his household, the one that's in charge of all that he had. I need a man like that. Isn't that awesome? Abraham was so well to do. It's like a general. That's how powerful Abraham has become. And it says, put your hand under my thigh. I want to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the Lord of earth. So it's reminding of us of the Genesis story. It reminds us that Abraham is telling his servant, I want you to make a holy vow. And this vow has to do with the seed. In our culture, if somebody puts his hand on my thigh, I got really bad problems. But in this culture, I want you to know, if you don't really read the text, you're never going to hear about this on Sunday morning. But I want you to realize, I've taught you from the beginning, God's promise has to do with the seed. The Lord is going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And he is going to be struck in the heel. The great male deliverer of Eve is going to be struck by the serpent in the heel. But that great male deliverer is going to crush the serpent. That's what the whole story of the Bible is about. And we're in the early stages where it's important for the woman's seed, for a man and a woman to unite together, and for the man to give the woman his seed and to produce a promised child. That's what the whole story of Abraham was about. God worked all these years, and finally baby Isaac was born, and that was a fulfillment. Now there's the seed that ultimately is going to lead to Jesus. It's a very important idea in the story. But we're at a crucial transition time. Who's going to be 
the next seed. And Isaac is single, and he's 40, which in their culture means this is not really that great. Abraham was married, at least by then. So they got to find a bride for Isaac, and Abraham's really concerned about it. So he gets his trusted servant, and he makes him swear something really important. What does he make his servant swear? He says, I want you to swear by the Lord God of heaven and the God of earth that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I'm living but that you will go to my country, my own relatives, and get a wife for my own son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? I mean, this is a big thing. Asking a girl to come more than 500 miles, about 800 miles. You know, what happens if she says, hey, I'm not going to move to Texas. That's the idea. And Abraham, shall I then take her son back to the country that you came from? This is really important. Abraham says, make sure that you do not take him back. You keep him in the land. The Lord God of heaven who brought me out of my father's household on my native land, who spoke to me and promised me on an oath, saying, to your seed, and there's our storyline, to your seed I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman's unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand there under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and he swore an oath concerning this matter. Now, I want you to think about this. What in the world's going on? First of all, Abraham is really concerned about one major thing. Isaac is living in the land, but the land is filled with Canaanites. These Canaanites worship idols. These Canaanites worship sexuality. They worship fertility gods, okay? And if Isaac marries one of those Canaanites and those Canaanites aren't committed to the Lord, what's going to happen to the promised seed? Today you're rejoicing. Jesus has come. Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. Jesus has rose again. I had the privilege yesterday morning of leading a young woman to the Lord, and I was able to tell her this incredible story about Jesus that loved her so much that he took her place. Isn't that an incredible story? How many of you love that story this morning? And if you've never received that story then you need to receive it even while I'm teaching you. The Holy Spirit wants to cause Jesus to come to live in your life. But I want you to know that we're early in the story, and if Isaac doesn't find a wife, if Isaac moves away from the faith of the great I am, then the story's over. That's the tension in the story. So what's Abraham's concerned about? Abraham doesn't want his son to marry a Canaanite. What is a Canaanite? A Canaanite is someone that doesn't believe in the I am. A Canaanite is someone that doesn't care about the promise that God made. And Isaac is from a family where the living God of the universe promised his dad that he was going to give him a land. He was going to give him a seed that would produce the great promised Messiah, but it would also generate a great multitude of people. And finally, all the world would be blessed through Abraham. And I want you to know Jesus is the most blessed person that's ever lived and he brings blessing to more people if you're a raving atheist this morning you still live in a world where nobody has blessed the earth like jesus he's the most famous he's the most influential he's the most powerful jesus is a cuss word i heard it all the time why is that because that's the tension in the world you turn on the tv you're going to hear about jesus how many of you heard about jesus in places you wouldn't expect this week y'all have 
Well, I want you to know we're at the beginning of the story. This is really powerful and has to do with life reality. And Abraham is really concerned. He's got to find a believing woman that'll trust in the promise of Abraham. You say, well, Dave, what does that have to do with us? Well, one of the things you need to learn from this story is that things you learn about good characters and what's really important in their life, that's not going to change. So when you see what's important to Abraham, as a dad, he's really concerned that his child, his son, marries a believing person. In our culture, how do our kids find their brides and their husbands? It's all personal choice. For a lot of you, it's just open thing. Your kids will date somebody for two years. And I'll ask you, is the person your son or daughter is dating, are they born again? What's their relationship with Jesus? You'll go, I don't know. So what's important to you? If I ask them, you know, what color are they? What's their socioeconomic background? Where did they go to school? What are they interested in? How many meals have you had with them? What are you concerned about? You see, this is where the story really meets the road. This is really, really important. Our evangelical culture in America is on the way out. You have one generation that they believe the power of the gospel. The next generation assumes the gospel. The next generation disdains it. This story is telling us that we need to be raising up a culture. Evangelicals need to be raising up a culture of kids that from the time they're really small, one of the most important things in their life is, are they going to marry someone that knows Jesus? I want to encourage you. Some of you have done that. And I also want you to realize that we've been studying the life of patriarchs, and they really made that a top priority. And some of their kids married people that weren't believers at all. For example, as the story develops, like Ishmael was Abraham's son. Remember that story that he got hooked up with an Egyptian girl, Hagar, and produced Ishmael? Well, Ishmael doesn't care that much about the promise. Some of you as mom and dad said, Dave, man, I did everything I could to raise up a child that would really believe in the promise, that would really trust in the promise, and that was going to be the center of their life, but they rejected that. That's the way the story is told in the Bible. Every one of your kids have to decide. But what I'm concerned about this morning is that as a mom and dad, that we evaluate this. And as grandparents, we evaluate this. When I ask the question, like, where did you meet your potential mate? Well, if you go constantly to the airport, there's a really good chance that your kid will marry a pilot. If you go constantly to a bar, there's a really good chance that your kid will marry someone that drinks and maybe drinks a lot. That's what happens. The reality of the matter is, like my own parents, for example, they made sure I went to Christian camps. Like we got a bunch of teenagers going to camp together. And we also do a lot of things with our church where youth groups interact together. They go to things in Dallas. And some of you say, well, what's so important about that? You know what? There's a really good chance that your kids will connect with someone that goes to another church family, maybe across the area. Like, for example, if you're totally into athletics, there's a really good chance your kid will marry someone interested in athletics. 
That's the way life works. I know a lot of your stories. I know some of you didn't know Jesus at all. You were totally away from him. You met each other in the bar. You were maybe drunk when you met. You had an incredible time dancing. And then later on, you came to know Jesus. And now the Lord put your whole life together. That's a redemptive story. I believe in that story. But I also want you to know that once your kids are raised and they know Jesus, it needs to be a priority. Does that make sense? You say, well, Dave, I don't really buy all that. I want to ask you, what's going to make a long-lasting marital union? I want to tell you, being married like 44 years, the core of our relationship, I knew that Mary was committed to Jesus from the day that I met her. And that's the most important thing there is. The presence of Jesus in her life had been the key to our intimacy and closeness. Now, how many of you believe that? And you need to think really hard about this because you're deciding. You say, well, Dave, man, it's so hard to communicate to the next generation. You have a lot more influence than you think. And don't be afraid. If you're not hypocritical and you don't do one thing Sunday morning and you do something else during the week, I want you to know that as a dad and mom, as grandparents, you have incredible influence. Abraham, as an old man that just lost his wife, he still has incredible influence. And he really cares about the promise. He really cares about God's land. You say, Dave, what's so important about this? Because we're responsible to raise up the next generation that's going to believe in Jesus. Does that make sense? How many of you think, man, the most important thing in the world is I want to produce kids that believe that Jesus is the most important thing in the world, that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, that Jesus rose again, and they're going to live their life for that. That's an abiding value. 2,000 years before Christ, Abraham really cared about that. And some of you say, well, Abe, you don't know what it's like in the culture that I live, man. We've never faced this before. I don't buy that. The Canaanites sacrificed their kids, the idols. The Canaanites thought it was the way that you brought blessing. The way you brought rain is you went to a temple and had sex. And we need to get really serious about this. You live in a culture where sex is totally disconnected from marriage and kids. You hear what I just said? Your kids are in a culture, most of them, that sex is totally disconnected from getting married and having kids. The idea is we just do it. We just have pleasure. And we keep ourselves protected, and then everything will be fine. Parents, you need to get in there and be serious about this. Is that really a good plan? And don't say, well, I want you to be pure and a virgin because that's just what God commanded. It's really, really a good plan for your kids not to sleep around when they're in high school. And you need to get in there slugging because on Facebook, they can show pornographic pictures to one another. They can connect with each other. They can set up private meetings. So you got to get in there slugging. When they turn about 10 years of age, you should already be launching into what they're going to really be. We live in a culture that's crazy. You live in a culture that tells young people constantly, just do it. It's freely expressed. And that's what everybody does. And everything in the media is telling them that. You say, Dave, how do we counteract that? We raise our kids that their sexuality is a holy thing. It's for one person that they can produce kids with that can pass the generation of the incredible love for Jesus on to the next generation. We need to stop thinking of sex just as an individual thing. It's not just an individual thing ever. 
It has to do with people that are made in the image of God that unite together. And they're supposed to unite together in a secure, protective environment where there's a covenant vow. And if they get pregnant and produce kids, it's a glorious thing. How many of you think that's a good plan? How many think that's really, really better than, than all the high school kids experimenting and finding out if everything works? Come on, be honest. We need to get serious. What are you going to do with your kids? What am I going to do with my kids? What am I going to do with my grandkids? That's what Father Abraham is teaching about this morning. Well, he had a plan. He sends a trusted servant. By the way, the older folks are involved with this. In our culture, the idea is we just leave younger folks out there. That's the American way. So you have a bunch of people that have no life experience. How many of you have ever had your kids dating somebody that you knew was a total idiot? They were lazy. They were abusive. They were angry. How many of you have seen that happen? How did you know that? Because you've had a little bit of life experience. Well, I want to give you courage this morning. Because it's idiotic. We're exploding as a culture in this area. And we as believers have a great opportunity to show the culture, to show the culture how there's great blessing in following God's way. There's great blessing in being obedient. And one of the things that the scripture is saying is we shouldn't be disconnected. You don't just say, well, young people, you just learn in the school of life experience. They'll learn. But they could be dead or diseased or broken or discouraged or emotionally totally distraught doing that. We need adults that believe, hey, I've learned something from the great I am. So Father Abraham is showing you, take initiative. These two old men, in American culture, who would ever listen to old men? But in this culture, they listened. So we need to recreate that, and we need to take initiative. And, and Abraham and his trusted servant are showing us, man, these old men, they can take initiative. So the servant gets on his camel. He takes 10 camels with him, and he takes off on a several hundred-mile journey. Look what it says. And this next part of the story is beautiful. Look what it says. That the servant took 10 of his master's camels, taking all kinds of good things from his master. His master's really rich. He sent out for Aram Nakarim. And made his way to the town of Nahor. This is back close to Haran, where Abraham lost his father, Terah, and then eventually moved down to the promised land. It's way up in the northern part of the Fertile Crescent. He had camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to water. Then he prayed. By the way, this is the very first time in Scripture that someone prays for divine personal guidance. So this is really interesting. We've got a servant. We don't even know his name. How many of you have ever prayed for personal divine guidance? How many of you knew that this trusted servant of Abraham was the first person in all God's recorded word that did that? So he's your patron saint for really committing to the Lord. So notice what he prays. He says, then he prayed, oh, Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today. I want you to show me loyal love. This is the most beautiful word. It means God has a relationship with me. And because he has a relationship with me, he's obligated to give me my requests, if they're consistent with his will, this God is connected with me. And the third thing is this God will even come through when I don't do all that I'm supposed to do, which is grace. It's the word kesed in Hebrew, and it's the word for loyal love or faithful, committed love. And that should be one of the most beautiful words to you. It's the word that God will always keep to you. And so this servant says, Lord, I want you to show me today that loyal love. 
See, I'm standing beside the spring, and the daughter of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown loyal love to Abraham, my father. Okay? Now, what are the chance that this would ever happen? Now, is this a Gideon's fleece? No. We've got a servant on a mission. We've got his prayer. We've got a prayer. But I want you to notice something else. In Gideon's fleece, it had nothing to do with character. It had everything to do with Gideon's unbelief. That's another story we can study another time. This is not a fleece. Some of you put out fleeces. You need to put out character tests. As your kids are dating, as dads, don't just scare them with a shotgun. Give them character tests. Take them with you. Okay? If this woman that came to the well, for one thing, the fact that she came to the well means what? So if you think that the Bible in this terrible patriarchal culture that women never did anything, you need to read these stories more carefully. Because I got news for you. In the ancient world, coming to the well to get water It's really important. In fact, we're going to have all kinds of girls that drive their flocks and their herds. This is like Texans saying that my daughter brought all the cows and all my herd down to make sure they got watered in the late evening before they bedded down for the night. In Texas, is that a menial, horrible thing to do? No. In Nebraska, where my wife Mary was raised, life depends upon that. The ones that take care of the herd, like in the middle of the winter, you got to go out there and break ice off their watering trough so that they can drink. It's a big deal. That's why you need to read the Bible carefully. The people that argue against the Bible have never read it, 99 times out of 100. By the way, this is a very wise test. It's not like Gideon's fleece, kind of, I don't believe you, Lord, just prove it to me. If this woman is willing to give him a drink, what does it show the servant about this girl's character? She's a hard worker, what else is she? She's obedient, what else is she? Responsible, what else is she? How do you respond when a stranger asks you for a drink? Some of you are so scared you just leave. You're so like this. Here's a girl, comes to a well, she meets a stranger, he says, please give me a drink. She's generous. She has an open heart. How many of you think those are really good qualities? If you're a man, I want all of you young men that are here, if you find a woman that's generous and has an open heart, okay, and she not only, she has to take this water jar, you got to, this is not where you turn on the spigot and fill your thing. This is where you go down the steps, you go into a well, take out the water, and then you bring it in. When the servant asks her for drink, she got to take off this big jar that she's carrying up on her head, she has to put it down, and then it says she gives him drink. She takes the water and gives it to the servant. She's a generous, blessed girl. Then she says, I'll water all your camels. How many of you know how many gallons each camel drinks? Does anybody know? No, that's close. 20. 20 to 25 gallons apiece. And how many camels does he have? So how many times up and down the stairs? Okay. So this woman, she is generous. 
She had strong arms. By the way, our culture is more into this. Like some of you are raised on the great Gatsby and Daisy, this little delicate flower that ends up being the terrible villain that destroys everyone's life. She doesn't do a lick. Daisy and the great Gatsby would never give anybody a drink. Everybody gives her a drink. All the servants meet her needs. Guys, watch out for that woman. And you ladies in this room, don't be the kind of woman. Guys love the woman that's flirtatious, the woman that, like in David Copperfield, is like Dora, that can't do a blessed thing. She's so weak and fragile, and all the guys love her because they have to take care of her. But I want to tell you guys, don't marry those girls. They'll be sick the rest of their life. And they'll end up hurting you. They'll sit around and eat TV dinners and watch soap operas. That's the truth. That's what this text is telling you. You got a girl that's out. She's taking the herd. She's going to get water. A guy asked her, will you give me some water? He said, man, I'll give you water. I'll feed all your camels. That's the girl you want to bless. And in this story, when Eliezer, probably with this servant that's there, when he sees that, he takes out all this rich stuff beautiful. They wore nose things in their nose. So our young people aren't quite as up with the culture 2,000 years before Christ. They think they have tattoos and everything they're really in. Back in this culture, the girls wore big rings in their nose and in their ears. Even the guys did. So be careful about making big things about that. Those are all cultural things. But I got news for you in this culture. When you got a guy that brings out, this is like bringing out diamonds and necklaces. I mean, he brings out all this stuff and he puts them on Rebecca. Because now he knows. And then he thanks the Lord. It says he gets down on his knees and he worships the Lord. He says, thank you. In fact, it tells us what he prayed. After Rebecca revealed who she was, she revealed that she was Abraham's brother's granddaughter. So we've got someone that's in the right family at the right place at the right time. It says, then the man, in verse 26, then the man bowed down and he worshiped the Lord. Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his loyal love and his dependability. That word faithfulness means in Hebrew, you can rest your weight on it. You can count on it there in verse 26. As for me, the Lord had led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran. Notice she's, man, this girl's with it. She is beauty. She's beautiful. She's strong. And she has a generous heart. All the young women in our church, they need to be raised. They need to be beautiful. They need to have strong arms, and they need to have generous hearts, okay? So this is way back before the time of Jesus. Only the Bible's saying that ladies, it's not saying they should be weak and delicate and just stay at home and not do anything. See, is that what this story told you? So that's why you need to read the Bible. That's what tradition tells you. That's what leave it to beaver and the father knows best where the women just stayed at home and everything. And they went to the beauty parlor, and that's all that they did. That's not what the Bible teaches. This young woman, she is virile. She's strong. She's generous. So let's figure it out. Let's do it. We can do it. So she goes running home. As we close our story, she goes running home, and she tells her brother Laban what's happened. Well, when Laban sees, I want you to be alert to this. You're reading the Bible The very first thing you learn about Laban is he sees all this beautiful jewelry. So what's that tell you about Laban? So when we get to the story of Jacob and Rachel, Laban's going to still be materialistic. We're not going to deal with that story, but Laban just focuses on the money. 
How many of you have relatives that you know that all they do is focus on the money? Well, the Bible will help you to know how to deal with it. So the servants, it's welcome to the household, and they said, we're going to give you a big meal. But he says, no meal, not yet. He says, before we eat anything, and the idea, there's going to be no obligation. I'm going to tell you what my mission is. And then the servant repeats the story, only leaves out all the Abrahamic blessing stuff. He just says, you can tell my master's really wealthy, and you can tell that he can provide for your relative, your sister, and your granddaughter, all those relationships, your daughter. And I want to take her with me. Well, her brother and her dad say, yes, she can go. See there, the Bible, they don't give the girl any chance at all. No, wait a minute, you got to keep reading. In their culture, men did have the major responsibility. But was it true that the Bible talks that the woman doesn't have any choice at all? The men decide, basically Laban decides, man, this guy's really rich. I want to get all the blessings. So he decides. But the next morning after they have a big meal, the servant says, we're going. And they said, no, 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 just say 10 days. And the idea in Hebrew of 10 days, it means like Jacob was supposed to spend 10 days. He spent 14 years. So it ain't going to happen. You need to learn this about human nature. When you're on a mission for the Lord, get it done. Don't dallywag. You got to get going. So the servant says, I'm done. I'm leaving. They say, no, no, you can't do that. Then they say, we're going to ask the girl. And we close our story. Rebecca, this young, strong, beautiful, generous girl, had the decision of her life. And we need to raise our kids from the time they're small. This is the most important decision of all. They came to Rebecca and said, sister, Will you go with this servant and become the bride of Isaac? And the text tells us, she says, I will. And you're here today because Rebecca said, I will. She rode the camels hundreds of miles. In the distance, she sees a man. She doesn't know who it is. She says to the servant, is that the man? It says she gets off her camel. She puts on a veil because in their culture, they only wore a veil with their potential husband. And by the way, you can teach your girls some. The girls, what's intriguing about a woman is not when she exposes everything. And every skillful woman really understands this. It's when you veil it. What's intriguing is the mystery. So see how those values, that's not going to ever change. We have young girls, they think, if I expose everything, that'll be intriguing. Guys end up mocking you, and they'll end up hurting you. And that's evil. Ladies, you understand that much better than me, so you need to really get in there and teach. Rebecca veils herself because the mystery is what's intriguing. It says that Isaac meets her. He takes her into his mother's tent, and he's comforted from the loss of his mom. New love, new families. In our own church family, we're going to lose Sarah's. We're going to lose Abraham in this chapter, just a little bit farther, a little bit more on. Abraham will go home to be with his father. That's happening around church family. We don't need to get drunk and discouraged and depressed because of that. Because there can be comfort. Isaac made love with Rebekah, and he produced the line of the son of David. And our precious son of David, the ultimate son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Jacob, the ultimate Lord Jesus went into the grave, just like Sarah did. 
And Isaac was mourning because he lost his mom. But when the ultimate son that was produced in his line went into the grave, he rose again from the dead. That's why we need to raise our kids committed to the promise. Do you know anyone else that can tell Isaac, Isaac, I know you're crying now, but I can reunite you with your mom, Sarah, again. That's the incredible good news. So this morning, if you're a young woman, we need to learn marrying a believer in the Lord. That's really important. If you're a mom and dad that has kids that are married unbelievers, let's pray the Lord will work in an amazing grace and, and that we'll be using the Lord to bring some of those unbelievers to Christ. Amen? Second of all, let's really, really pray that we'll raise up a generation of young women in the midst of this Canaanite culture that'll understand the values that I shared today. And let's pray that we'll generate a whole bunch of young women that'll be like Rebecca and say, I will to the promise. For us, at this phase in the redemptive story, it's saying, I believe in Jesus, and my whole life is centered in him, and that's the heart of all my relationships. We can do this by God's grace.